Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Investing, I'm Peter Switzer. And this week we go looking for the stocks our fund managers really like. First we have June Bay Lu of Tribeca Investment Partners and then Julia Lee from Berman Invest. And I'll ask them about their biggest holdings and their most recent acquisitions. And then Paul Rickard will look at the list of stocks that he's taken in and out of his growth fund list that he's created for subscribers. It's interesting to see the stocks that he now likes and the ones he doesn't like and he may have either dumped them or reduced his exposure to these particular companies. And then we'll talk to the godfather of cryptocurrency, an American guy by the name of Mike Turpin, who's going to have a big debate with Harry Dent in the not too distant future about the future of Bitcoin. He thinks it'll be $100,000 by December. I asked him about that. You work out whether you believe him or not. That's the show, so let's kick off with June Bay Lu of Trondeca Investment Partners. So joining me, as she often does, is June Bay Lu from Tribeca Investment Partners, and she's the portfolio manager of the Tribeca Alpha Fund. Thanks for joining us, June Bay. It's great to be with you. Thank you, Peter. Happy year. Yeah, same to you. Now, we are Zooming, and that's because we're getting close to Australia Day public holidays. But it's, um, it's look, I thought just for a change, rather than just instantly going into speed dating on stocks that I like and you like, I thought I'd actually position you first of all. And so what do you actually do as portfolio, portfolio manager? <laughs> Oh, look, uh, well, that's a really great opening. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, look, what I do is that I uh, investors uh, gave me their um, their, their money, um, their capital and funds, and I use that to invest um, in the Australian equity markets. And the way I do it is not only I go and buy the company, I think it's going to go higher. I can also go and short the companies that I think it's going to go lower. So, um, you know, I've been doing this for uh, close to 20 years now. And, uh, you know, we have delivered incredible performance for investors as a longshore manager of the um, equity um, of the Australian equity markets and um, you know if anything uh, for the last two years we're the number one longshore manager according to Mercer survey very well, exciting okay yeah well done so how many stocks would you generally hold in the fund yeah, look, normally we hold quite a bit. So we hold between 80 and 100. The reason we do this many is because one is that we have a whole lot of short ideas combined with the long ideas. So the company to sell and the company to buy. Mm. Um, also, we take small positions like insurance policies. Just make sure when market does crash, we can be well insulated in that sort of environment. So we hold quite a bit of stocks. Yeah, and that, that is because you are actually investing in a particular style because a lot of fund managers might only have 30 or 35 stocks. Yeah, that's right. So I run a um, uh, fund in a very diversified manner. That means I have positions in many sectors, so I don't get swinged. My return gets very become very consistent, mm. and it doesn't get swinged from rising market to uh, falling market. I generally aim to deliver our performance in any market condition. Okay, and so what do you look for in a company that you want to go longer than most of your other stocks? 
Yeah, absolutely. So company with consistent track record, company that has demonstrated that they can do the uh, fulfill those promises that they made to the market, mm. and company also have future growth opportunity. Um, you know, I often talked about Afterpay and the like. Um, yes, it's expensive, but it is continuously expanding its ultimate um, market opportunity. You know, moving from Australia to US to UK to Asia. So you know, in that sort of environment, you want to hold on some of those winners. Yeah. So, what are the biggest holdings in your portfolio? Look, the biggest holding actually, I have a couple of really close holdings. So, Afterpay is one of my biggest. Mm. I have Fortescue, which has been an incredible performer, and also more recently, we've added Newix, which is a quite a new listing, and it has done incredibly well. And we believe it still de um, uh, definitely deserve a, um, a top five position in the portfolio. Mm. But it's it's a reasonably small, well, it's a new company. What does it actually do? And I know Macquarie had a pretty strong association with Newix, didn't it? That's right. So Macquarie invested quite a few years ago um, uh, in the, as a private company. Mm. Now this company, what it does, it has a software um, or algorithm to be able to uh, read uh, into big data in a very efficient manner. So this company actually has a lot of big contracts with those um, with big governments around the world, and uh, and they actually have been used. Their tool has been used to investigate some of the famous cases such as Panama Papers and the like, um, and. And, uh, and this company is growing at 15, 16% a year. Um, and uh, you can see that huge growth um, continuing for the, at least the next 10 years. Um, oh. So it's a great business. Okay, so these are your biggest holdings. What have been some of the newest companies that you've added to your portfolio in recent times? Of course. So um, aside from Newex, we just added that listed in December. We also added um, Redbubble, which we added about three, four months ago. Now, this business um, is like the mini version of Etsy that's listed in the US. And it has been very going uh, going very well here in Australia and has 70% of the business based in the US. Now, of course, COVID has given them, um, you know, all the e-commerce or platform business a leg up. But however, this business still at its infancy um, in terms of growth. And we Think that growth will continue even if the COVID pulls away, and it trades at a huge discount to Etsy that's listed in the US. So to us, this company has phenomenal growth opportunity, and um, and it deserves a good position in the portfolio too. Okay, is that you say Red Bubble? That's right. R B L is the code Red mm. Bubble. Okay. Now, um, other companies that you might like that um, you know have been in the news that uh, you might like to share with us. Of course, yeah, look, so um, there's one company we've seen the opportunity presenting again. Um, the company name is Tyro. I know we have to, spoke about it before. You know, we participated in the IPO a couple of years ago and it has done incredibly well. But of course, this business uh, provides the um, the terminal and then the point of sale system to um, small uh, to the cafes and restaurants, uh, a lot of small businesses. So COVID has been impacting this business. Um, and, um, and then, you know, the environment actually has been proving for the company until more recently we had a short seller report on some of the disruptions they had. Um, now the share price is back to a very attractive level um, and we think this business will deliver between 30 and 40 percent growth in the next few years. Um, it, it's a great, a very attractive opportunity at the moment. Now, now what do you think of the research paper that Viceroy put out, uh, Jun Beilu? 
Look, I think the research report um, has put out at the time when Tyro did have a, um, a, a system issue. So the terminal um, that was provided by uh, Worldline is, uh, has some sort of coding issue and has been um, on track to be fully rectified, if it not 100% rectified by now. Um, and so, you know, if we look at the data, um, it's well and truly past this environment, uh, past the issues, um, and the growth is coming back. Now, Sure Seller Report has targeted saying that they shouldn't have had that issue, um, and and then saying that going forward, that they uh, could potentially more longer term issue. And in our view, um, you know, the hard data is already showing that they are improving well and truly move past it. Um, and that there's, play, uh, uh, there's uh, actions they put in place that it's not going to happen again. Yeah. Um have you ever been invested in wise tech? Yes, I have been previously, many years ago. Um, I think the business has a good, um, a, a pretty good uh, a platform um, for uh, a lot of trading businesses, and it has been growing really fast. Now, that one has a short seller report on it, or many short seller reports on it as well. Um, the main issue for that business, it's a bit harder for investors to get a real good insight into that business, <clears throat> simply because it bought so many small businesses. Very hard for us to see what's organic growth, what's bought, you know, what's the underlying cash flow? So I think this is where the short seller report is lasting a little bit longer than normal. So we will have to see the result um, that is coming through in February, whether we'll see good organic growth rate. Okay. Now, you did bring up Afterpay, and I know in the past you've also said you, you like Zip. And Zip had a very good last week. It, it rose pretty strongly. <laughs> and, and, and often the, the company that's number two can have the halo effect of the benefit from Afterpay. Well, what is your view on Zip as a, st as a company in its own right? Look, I think uh, absolutely. I think Zip is absolutely um, represent pretty good value relative to um, Afterpay. It looks cheap and uh, it's an up and coming second player, certainly in the listed area in, uh, in Australia. Um, and I think you're absolutely right, the halo effect. Afterpay trading at close to $150, yeah. um, Zip, the, that means Zip valuation should be higher. And then if you go down to the little one, Sezzle is another pure play that looks just like Afterpay. So all of these should do quite well um, uh, as long as the consumer environment hold up. You know, you were talking about huge amount of stimulus um, pack, uh, paycheck to the individuals. Mm. Um, and what do they do? They've been spending online. And so, you know, these other businesses will continue to do well for quite some time. And, and am I right in saying that the, 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 the level of usage of buy now, pay later in the US is a long way behind Australia. So that the growth in America could be quite extraordinary over the next five years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, penetration in the US is still just around 1%. This compared to, uh, this is for buy now, pay later, mm -hmm. and compared to Australia is about 7% and still growing very, very rapidly here in mm -hmm. Australia. So enormous market. And, uh, you know, at 1% penetration, Afterpay is still already doing more than Australia. So this growth is phenomenal. Not to mention Canada, UK, Europe, and Afterpay also got a little beachhead in investment in Asia as well. So incredible global opportunities. Okay, one last one before you go. I was talking to a, a pretty famous short seller um, who um, was a, actually was rather long zero when it first came on the, on the market and, and has made a lot of money out of it. And he, 
he actually sold a substantial amount of it, but he still holds a substantial amount of it. And he, he reckons one day it'll be a $600 company. Do you believe that? Yeah, I hold a little bit of zero as well, I believe. Look, I think these little businesses, hard for investors to comprehend at the beginning because we don't know how the market will get. Zero is the same story. Dominate New Zealand, dominate Australia, now gone to UK showing incredible numbers. And US is just started making inroads. So, you know, it's an enormous market. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I think the runway is uh, still very, very large for those businesses. Jim Lu, thanks for joining us on the program. Talk to you in a couple of weeks' time. <laughs> Speak soon. Thank you very much. Have a good day. This episode was brought to you by WCM Investment Management, a California-based global equities manager with an outstanding long-term track record. This chart shows the significant outperformance of WCM's quality global growth strategy over the past one year, three years, five years, 10 years, and since its inception. Investors can access the strategy via the ASX with their choice of an exchange-traded managed fund, WCMQ, or a listed investment company, WQG. And joining us as she always does each week is Julia Lee from Berman Invest. Hi, Julia. Hi, Pete, how are you doing? Good, now, rather than me, determining what we talk about. I said, let's, let's look at what you're looking at right now. <laughs> what, what, what are your, uh, two questions. What is, what is your biggest holdings? And then what are the, the new acquisitions or the companies that you really like right now? So why don't we just kick off with your, your biggest holdings? Sure, well, Linus remains the biggest holding. Um, it's been doing very well. Mm. Um, we're up around about 70%. Um, on our buying price and that's of course as battery um, type of stocks and materials are very much in focus but also on Friday it heard the good news that the Department of Defense yeah. in the US has um, awarded a, a contract and that really means that sales from the US will be easier to come by and hopefully later down the track a heavy uh, metals processing plant which has higher margins than the light uh, metals processing plant that they're planning in Texas at the moment. So still very happy with that one. Mm. Given the big surge alpha, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a bit of a pullback. But longer term, that sales channel into the US is looking good. Yeah, that's exactly what I wrote in the uh, Switzer report today. Great uh, minds. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, fortunately, Maureen was listening to you and she, she got got liners for our super fund so we're really happy about oh, that. Oh excellent. Uh, but also I think the interesting thing is that uh, to my way of thinking this American relationship really does add solidity to Linus's future. Is that what you're thinking as well? Well, it just adds a, a, an acceleration to uh, the revenue coming through from the US. Um, if they had to wait and uh, look at their own processing plans and the approvals for that and then raising capital, it would be a much longer journey. So the yeah. fact that the Department of Defense is backing Linus is a huge positive and I think it means earlier sales and greater sales coming through from the okay. US. So that's Linus, what else you got? Oh, so let's start off with food and fuel. Um, I like Instatec Pivot at the moment. Now, it did see a, a bit of a pullback today, and that was on the back of uh, 
soft commodity prices falling on Friday. But actually, it's been a great start to the year for soft commodities like grains as well as soybeans. And that bodes well for Intertech Pivot. In fact, we have seen fertilizer prices already moving up in 2021. So I think this will be a good year for fertilizer prices. And Intertech Pivot really does get a huge kick up from fertilizer prices moving upwards. It, of course, looks at fertilizers and explosives. And look, the last set of results that we saw, the explosives business, the uh, Dino Nobel, was a bit disappointing. But given that commodity prices have been doing well and miners have been spending money, I think that 2021 is going to be a good year for those those explosives uh, that are needed to mine commodities. So fertilizer and explosives, I think the outlook looking great for Instatech Pivot. Okay, that's that one. What else? Uh, the other area that we've been um, increasing our exposure to over the last few months is the energy space. And look, a lot of analysts still have oil prices at around about 40 to $45 when looking at their models. And we're seeing oil prices more around 55 US a barrel at the moment. So I think that's going to be great news for the energy space, whether it's through Beach Petroleum, which is focused on the Cooper Basin, or whether it's through something like Oil Search, which of course is Papua New Guinea focused. I think last year, energy was the worst performing sector, but this year I think we'll see a bit of a revival with oil prices probably averaging 50 US a barrel. You've always made me feel guilty that I liked Woodside and you liked oil search, but I think both are, <laughs> both are doing pretty well. Now, I think the whole sector will do well. So whether it's Woodside Petroleum, Oil Search, Beach Petroleum. I like Beach because of the drilling program at Otway at the moment, which gives it a bit of growth options for the long term. But I think the whole energy sector is an overweight this year. Okay, so what, what, what do you go to next? I'm going to say Telstra. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, we spoke about Telstra a bit when it was trading below $3. And I yeah. said, look, Telstra below $3 is a buy. But look, they're looking at unlocking value through the Towers or Infrastructure Co. And that means that Telstra will be worth closer to $4. So this is a short-term catalyst for Telstra. So I think that in the first half of the year that Telstra will continue to do quite well. It is uh, pushing 52-week highs at the moment. But mm. I think the possibility of that Infrastructure Co either being IPO'd or sold off will uh, help to support the shares. Yeah, many years ago you said to me Telstra under $3 is good value and it really <laughs> went well. I always remember that and so I uh, thank you for that little inside information. All right, so that's, that's uh, what, three or four interesting stocks. You got any other ones before we say goodbye? I got another one. Uh, well, <laughs> the banks. <laughs> the banks are good. I think one of the things I'm watching really closely this week are the inflation numbers coming out of Australia yeah. because I suspect that inflation is going to be strong in 2021, yeah. which means that the markets are going to start pricing in an interest rate hike, and that's great news for the banks. In particular, I like um, Bendigo and Adelaide uh, Bank. That's because of the rural bank and what we've seen in rural Australia is a couple of years of drought and bushfires and finally things are coming back. So I think that that area will do quite well. But if you're looking at the big four, NAB and ANZ are the cheapest, so I'll probably go that way. But if you're looking for something a little bit different, I think Bendigo and Adelaide will be an interesting one this year. Julia Lee, thanks for joining us. Well, joining me now is my colleague from the Switzer Report, Paul Rickard. Paul, how are you going? Great, thanks, Peter. Uh, look, I asked you to have a look at the, the list of stocks that you have in your, your growth portfolio for subscribers to the Switzer Report. And I know you recently tweaked them, and I figure either some have been kicked out or some added or you've reduced the actual holdings. 
Tell us about the stocks that you've maybe added to uh, or you, you like more uh, in 2021. Yeah, there have been sort of three main areas, Peter, that we've uh, tweaked. First of all, in uh, information technology, secondly, healthcare, and then thirdly, in the consumer area. Let's start with information technology. Uh, the main change there, Peter, we've kept zero. Now, zero has been a fantastically fantastic performing stock. I know it's a personal favorite for yours. It's also mine. But it's got very expensive. So just decided to uh, hang on to it, but just downweight a little bit. It's always dangerous taking profits. And then really to uh, to add to that uh, two other stocks. The first one is Appen. Of course, uh, that won't be a surprise to anyone who's been following the so-called WAC stocks. It's had, mm. a, it's had a pretty good track record in the artificial intelligence space. Come off the boil recently. I think the market felt uh, there was some challenges, particularly with some of the US customers and just getting some of the algorithms and the data right with all the COVID challenge. But I think there's a bit of value in Appen. And the other one is, again, another favor of yours, Peter, uh, NextDC. Mm. Uh, and of course, that's a company involved in data centers, uh, pretty secure, growing quickly. Uh, these are sort of tier one industrial strength data centers. And uh, look, it's uh, I think there's good value in that stock as well. Yeah, and, and these aren't stocks that you necessarily think that will perform magic over the next one or three months. It's the kind of stock that you think's got growth potential over time, aren't they? Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, there's a lot of uh, flavour of the month type activity in the market. We're seeing it a little bit uh, in various sectors. We've seen it in buy now, pay later. We're seeing a lot now in uh, in lithium. We're seeing it in the mineral. A lot of mineral stocks are going through a bit of a, bit of a rally at the moment because of... Uh, the excitement around commodities, but also some of the other rare earth minerals and things. So these are companies I think are going to be there uh, in three to five years time, Peter, for the long term. Uh, yeah. And look, you might not see any growth in the next six months, but I think over the next couple of years, you'll certainly see growth. These are, I won't say they're blue chips, but they're established. They've got good businesses, good strong cash flows, great management teams. Uh, and on at some stage, the market will say, this is, a, this is a company they want to own. Yeah, so they're, they're good additions to the core of your portfolio where other ones can be far more speculative and you might get in and get out of that kind of company. Yeah, and look, I mean, I think that there's always a question about how you play a portfolio. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of merit still in that core and satellite approach where, you know, you have your bulk of your funds in, in a strong portfolio that you're, you're really selecting stocks for the next three, five to 10 years. It, and then look, we all like to sort of get involved in other things that are happening, but, you know, and that's almost like the satellite approach and you can have a bit more fun there. You can take a bit more risk. You can, uh, you can trade it a bit more aggressively. I think there's always a bit of danger in trading a portfolio too aggressively, mm. but it does need rebalancing. And these are stocks I would describe for your a long-term growth portfolio. Okay. What else, Paul? Well, we've made some changes in the healthcare space a little bit now. Um, just downweighted a little bit CSL. I think it's a fantastic company uh, and ResMed, both really strong companies, but both potentially going to be impacted by uh, a stronger uh, Aussie dollar. So they're going to make it just a little bit tougher the next 12 months, but no, you know, just a little bit of downweighting there. Uh, I've moved Ramsey out. I've been a strong believer in Ramsey, but I think it's uh, it's pretty well, it's got a lot of challenges still with COVID and, and uh, its acquisitions offshore are just perhaps proving a little more challenging. Uh, and brought in um, Sonic Healthcare, which is another company I've liked for a long time. These are the pathology company, uh, really a, a multinational operating right across uh, the globe, including Australia. 
uh, done really well out of COVID, mainly because of the uh, all the extra tests that are happening. Yeah, Someone's yeah. got to process those tests, uh, but a pretty strong company and uh, added that to the portfolio as well. Okay, so you also said you made some changes in the consumer space. Yeah, I think this is the year that where the consumer is going to be really important. So that means hanging on to stocks like JB Hi-Fi, I think West Farmers, you're just seeing that in the market at the moment, the, the market's realising that consumers got a lot of money. But there's two other consumer stocks that uh, we've sort of brought in. One is uh, Treasury Wine Estates. So that's a company that uh, obviously has been hit by just the whole, you know, uh, issue around China and whether uh, it can or can't export wines to, to the China and what that means to its premium uh, marketplace. I just think that's a great company with fantastic brands. These brands are worth so much. And at some stage, it's either going to replace the Chinese market and or that'll come back in a different form or it will find other markets for its goods. And uh, so the first one there is Treasury Wine Estates. Uh, the other one is in the consumer space is, is A2 Milk. So this is international consumerism. Uh, it's got a very much a, a dominant branding position. It, again, it's been impacted by a little bit around the China worry, but some other concerns. Maybe it got a little bit uh, you know, the challenging market in terms of uh, the Diagu channel, that's the people that come into Australia, often tourists, often visitors and take goods back to China. They've obviously had some sales and also uh, slippage because of that. But uh, around $10, that's looking pretty good value, I think. You may not see a lot of recovery in the next uh, three to six months, Peter, but I think that's a company you, you back for the medium term. Yeah. So in, in many ways, you've selected two companies that you call quality companies, currently facing market headwinds, but you don't think they'll be permanent and therefore they, they look like good value uh, buying them right now. That's right. I, th I think it's going to take time for both those two companies, A2 and Treasury Wine Estates. I think they're, they're relatively good value. Um, so I'm not expecting big things to happen for the next couple of months, but uh, I think over the next six to 12 months, we'll start to see some improvement. But more importantly, I think over three years, you'll start to see a lot of improvement. So um, both, both uh, represent value. The other one I've added too, Peter, which is a bit uh, up your alley is, is Qantas. Right. Now, um, I've always been a bit wary about airlines, yeah. um, but uh, I think its position, uh, notwithstanding COVID has been strengthened so much by the, you know, the, the collapse and obviously, you know, the new virgin, whatever it's gonna become when it, when it uh, takes off or has taken off. Mm. But I think Qantas is set to dominate uh, the domestic airline market. I think it's really going to do well at some stage when uh, when COVID-19 clears uh, and it's being able to use the whole, you know, the whole sort of crisis to shed a lot of costs, uh, you know, really do a lot of work on its uh, on its structure. And I think it'll be a good position. So, you know, I don't, again, the timing of that will depend on vaccines and international borders reopening and the market, I think, got ahead of itself a little bit uh, late last year in some of the travel stocks. But if you want to play a travel stock, I think it's Qantas. And I think that's a good bet in a portfolio sense for three to five years. Yeah, exactly right. Paul, thanks for the information. People want to check out more of what we're doing in the Switch Report. They can check out the website and there's a 21 free day trial. Thanks for joining us, mate. Thanks, Peter. This episode was brought to you by WCM Investment Management, a California-based global equities manager with an outstanding long-term track record. This chart shows the significant outperformance of WCM's quality global growth strategy over the past one year, three years, five years, 10 years, and since its inception. 
Investors can access the strategy via the ASX with their choice of an exchange-traded managed fund, WCMQ, or a listed investment company, WQG. Joining us in the program is Mike Turpin. Now, he's been described as the godfather of Bitcoin. I'm going to get him to explain why in a moment. But he's coming uh, online to Australia to debate Harry Dent on Thursday, January 28, about uh, Bitcoin and its future. Mike's really positive about it and Harry's very negative. Uh, welcome to the program, Mike. Glad to be here. So tell us why you're described as the godfather of uh, Bitcoin. Actually, it's the godfather of crypto, not of Bitcoin. Right. Uh, Bitcoin was a couple of years before I got into it, um, which was uh, 2008 for the white paper in 2009. Um, I got in just after the first halving, so in early 2013. But I've worked with uh, about two thirds of the market cap of all the cryptocurrencies other than Bitcoin. So Ethereum, uh, Ripple, uh, Tether are, 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 are companies that I've worked with either on marketing or advisory. Right. Now, now, Mike, Bitcoin, of course, is the, the flagship um, uh, cryptocurrency. If it should fail, would it be really bad for all the other cryptocurrencies? Well, it's not going to fail. Uh, it's been 12 years and it's never been hacked successfully. And, uh, you know, it's it's <laughs> it's like saying, will gold fail? Uh, you know, uh, the price may go down. In fact, it, it, it crashed for a while there, but it did mean that it was worthless. So Bitcoin is certainly a Bitcoin will be here for hundreds of years because it's it's too big to banks too big to fail. It truly is too big to fail. As long as we have electricity and the Internet on this earth, you will have Bitcoin. OK, but gold, unlike Bitcoin, doesn't have the potential challenge from Janet Yellen, who might turn around and say, we're going to have to put some controls on Bitcoin. What, what is, we're well, hearing this, I'm not saying that that's going to happen, yeah. but there are people well, reading it. People are yeah, reading it. Yeah. So how do you respond I, to that? Sure, this usually happens when the price of Bitcoin goes up. People are trying to make it go down by uh, you know, repeating things, asking leading questions to, to new regulators, uh, you know, and, and people, you know, newbies get scared off and then all of a sudden you see the price go up even higher. Mm. Uh, this is when you're, when you're here a few cycles, mm. you sort of see this, uh, you know, uh, Jamie Dimon said he would uh, fire anybody who was stupid enough to buy Bitcoin back when it was about $400. And now uh, JP Morgan is telling his best clients that they should have some Bitcoin in their portfolio, you know, when it hit $40,000. Mm. So. If I was a client of J.P. Morgan's, I'd be like, "Where were you when it was 400? When I could have really gotten a, a huge return?" Yeah, you know, they're they they wait until it's safe. But but Mike, you, you know yourself, Bitcoin is much more volatile than gold. We've seen what three 80 percent falls in Bitcoin over the what last four or five years, and last week it was or a couple of weeks ago it was 40 odd thousand. Now it's down to 31 thousand. Explain why it's so volatile. Well, it's early. Uh, if you look at the uh, petroleum when it first came out, it was even more volatile than Bitcoin. It, it would go up like 50x and then crash because they weren't quite sure if it was ever going to uh, replace whale oil. Um, and obviously it did. So, uh, yes, you can talk about the 80% crashes that have happened every four years uh, when the bubble pops. And uh, you can also talk about the uh, 
the popping at the end of uh, the Great Recession of 0809 and the Great uh, Depression in the 20s doesn't mean that stocks are uh, something that people should flee from. Uh, you need to study it so that you're not always buying high and, and, and selling low, but there have been very few times that you wouldn't be in profit right now. And in fact, there's, you know, when people say, oh, it went down 80%, they forget to mention that there were also times when it up, you know, last year was up uh, 350% from for the year 2020. And there were other years that it was up considerably more than that. 2017, it was up uh, 2000% and 2013, it was up uh, almost 100X. Mm. So what, what, what on, about, on, on general, in general, it's, it's, it's higher than lower. Yeah. And what about the, you know, the concerns of some governments that uh, cryptocurrencies generally are being used by uh, people who are trying to cover up their transactions and therefore you've got all the tax offices around the world, you call it the inland revenue, um, all around the world trying to ask, or asking the question, now, are we missing out on a lot of income that should be taxed? Couldn't that be a potential threat to all cryptocurrencies in terms of well, regulation coming in? It, it's, it's, it's completely false because where most crime is, when you see drug dealers caught, they're not holding uh, Bitcoin wallets. They're, they, they have suitcases filled with cash. Mm. So uh, the, the, the latest uh, uh, studies that have been done by uh, groups that have been hired by the, by the U.S. government um, show that uh, last year, approximately one-third of 1% 1 of Bitcoin transactions are suspected of possibly being involved in crime. Whereas in terms of U.S. dollars, uh, globally, it's, it's considered around 5%. So cash is always going to be a higher uh, and much uh, harder to trace uh, element. So with governments, what they're actually doing is they're looking to embrace digital currencies that will be printed by the central bank and uh, they'll be able to, then they'll be able to tax absolutely everybody if that's the only thing you can use for, uh, you know, getting, you know, paid by government sources. Mm -hmm. But you're allowed in a free country, uh, both Australia and the U.S. are, you know, nominally free countries, right, uh, to be able to go and say, I'd like to get paid uh, in gold. And you you have to pay your taxes based on what the the price is, and you have to pay your taxes based on what the what the price of Bitcoin is. Bitcoin is not anonymous; it's pseudonymous. It's got numbers that can be trailed. Uh, it would be a horrible thing for criminals to do. And now there are some privacy coins that make it uh, more difficult. But you know, you, once you touch the fiat on ramps and turn something into dollars, uh, you've got more forms of identification than you have in most industries. So. It's just it's just a false narrative to say that. And by the way, the day after uh, uh, you know Janet Yellen uh, you know kind of stumbled along that answer, she put out a written statement clarifying that she doesn't want to slow down innovation in in the fintech industry. So you know th this was sort of a uh, a soundbite that, frankly, also did not really uh, crash the markets like it might have a few years ago. Uh, there were times when. You know, when China said that they're not going to let the banks uh, deal with Bitcoin and the market went down 80% in a couple of weeks. Uh, here, for every dip, the smart institutions are buying. So is that, that's what's is, happening right now. So is that the strategy when the, the cryptocurrencies get um, taken to the cleaners, that's the best time to buy? Well, I wouldn't say when it's taken to the click. Yes, of course, it's always the best time to buy, mm. right? Uh, and it's also good to buy on the dips on the way up. This is the is the year of Bitcoin summer. There are four seasons in Bitcoin, and this has been established in the algorithms. 
there's a halving every four years, which means that the amount of new Bitcoin is cut in half. Can you imagine if the amount of gold by law had to be cut in half? The produ producers were told you can only uh, create half of the new, new gold every year by law. Of course, the prices would be much higher, but we don't have that. But with Bitcoin, we do have that. Every four years, the algorithm stops putting out new Bitcoin at the same rate. In the first four years, there were 10 million. The second four years, there were 5 million. Then it was two and a half, then 1.25. And so your daily ratio goes down, down, down. And right now there are three large institutions that alone are buying more Bitcoin every day than the miners have to sell. So that's where you get a supply and demand squeeze. Okay, so why is, is predicting that by December of this year, it'll be $100,000? It's actually one of the more conservative predictions uh, because that's the way the, the seasons have worked in Bitcoin. Mm. So you have every four years, you have the halving. That's, that's what I call Bitcoin spring, where the seed of the next uh, boom and bust is, is planted. And it takes usually about a year and change so far, it's always been in November or December of the year after the halving that you end up having a supply squeeze where the price goes up, new people come in because they see that they're friends or they read the media report that the price of Bitcoin doubled, tripled, quadrupled, and they were skeptical until all of a sudden friends they know made a lot of money. And they're like, oh, I better get in while the getting's good. And of course, that's right before the parabolic shift turns. And uh, so people who bought it at uh, 19,000 were crying a year and a half later when it was 3,500. On the other hand, if they just held on to it, they could have sold at 40,000. So you either hold for the long term and you'll always be fine. There's always gonna be a time uh, to be able to sell it higher or you day trade, in which case you should know what you're doing. You yep. shouldn't be an amateur and trying to play the market on a daily basis. Okay, so I think the last price I saw was 31,000 US dollars. Um, What's, what's the, the price people should buy into now? 31,000 well, or a bit lower? Um, no, I think, I think right now that there's, a, um, there's resistance at 30. It cracked through it for like a millisecond and bounced right back yeah. above it. Uh, so it's been going between 31 and 33. I just checked my uh, charts uh, when, we, when we got on the air here and that was 32,900. So it's mm -hmm. getting up to that 33 level. So what often happens is you'll have a narrowing uh, uh, wedge triangle and then something either breaks to the upside or breaks to the downside. Uh, in the meantime, what typically happens is that uh, the other coins go crazy. If you look at the altcoins, the decentralized finance coins, some of them are up 70% today. And uh, this is typically explained by the big institutions are only looking to buy Bitcoin on dips and then hold it for years. Hmm. Uh, the professionals, what they call whales, that's anybody with a thousand Bitcoin or more is considered to be a whale. Uh, the number of wallets uh, of a thousand or more has never been higher. In fact, in the last month it's grown, which shows that the very sophisticated old time investors are going in and they're playing these spreads between 40 and 30. They are day trading. They're sitting there and they're, you know, buying it at buying at 30, selling at 40, and then putting that money into altcoins and then buying back again. And uh, and then they sell the altcoins and then they have more, more Bitcoin. Okay, well, and that's been something that's happened every cycle. Okay, well, one last thing before we, we remind people that you and Harry are gonna argue this out on Thursday. What's gonna take it to 100,000? Apart from the seasonality, it's still a big jump, 40,000 40, to 100. What do you think is gonna make it do that? Well, again, supply and demand. And this, is, this will be, if it goes to 100,000, from the having 
last year at 8,500, it'll actually be the smallest jump that it's ever done from the halving. The first halving was $12, a year and one month later was 1,200, so it was 100X. The second halving was at $630, a year and a couple of months later, it was about a year and a half again, this number was 19,300, so that was 30X. So if it goes from you know 8,500 to only 100,000, you'd only be around 12X or so. Uh, Tim Draper, the uh, you know famed VC who uh, was laughed at when he bought 30,000 Bitcoin at $700, uh, now he's a billionaire from that alone. Uh, he's still insistent that it'll be at uh, $250,000. Even Harry said it's got a chance of going up to 300,000, but then he thinks it's going to crash 95%. I don't see that's in the cards. I think it could crash 80%, but it won't be quickly. It'll be yeah. in the winter, which is two seasons later, and then that's when you buy back. It's, cert I will. it's certainly a, uh, an investment product that you have to have a seatbelt on for to hang around with. Mate, thanks very much for joining us. Good luck with your debate with Harry. And uh, that's on uh, Thursday, January 28th. And we'll put the website for that uh, on the screen. Thanks very much. Okay, thank you. That's Mike Turpin, who is an expert on cryptocurrency, as you might guess. Now, he's going to be debating Harry Dent on Thursday at 11 a.m. It's a worldwide debate, but that's the Australian time. And let me say this to you, it might be worthwhile tuning in if you're interested in investing in cryptocurrency. I think the whole cryptocurrency uh, scene is really difficult to work out. So be very, very careful if you intend to invest in this particular product. It's, as I say, it's akin to gambling. It's akin to going to a casino. You can do well, but you also can lose a lot of money. So just be very, very careful. That's the show for this week. Look forward to talking to you next week. And if you want help picking stocks, think about taking out our 21-day free trial of the Switzer Report. If you really need a financial makeover, on the other hand, we have a full-service financial planning business and we charge flat dollar feeds. We don't charge percentages, which means we don't punish you if you just happen to have a lot of money. And if you're not a subscriber to this TV show, please think about becoming one. So we can remind you when the show is ready for viewing, which might mean you'll get into a stock before it goes sky high or it starts to hurtle downwards. I'm Peter Switzer, thanks for joining us, and I'll see you next Monday or with our property show on Thursday.